can't stop. Man, I can't stop. Man, I can't stop. You're listening to the Sports Aid Vault podcast with me, Tom Gale. Now, regular listeners will know this is our second series of the Sports Aid Vault, and it's brought to you in association with Commonwealth Games England and the Team England Futures Programme. Each episode will see us providing you with a unique insight ahead of the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games alongside special guests as Team England gets set to shine on home soil. We'll be offering a behind-the-scenes look at what a multi-sport games entails and take a deep dive into how athletes and their support staff can best prepare to deliver medal-winning performances as well as making the most of the opportunities that they'll be presented with. This episode, we're joined by Ali Jawed, MBE, and Christian Thomas. Ali is a British powerlifter who has enjoyed an illustrious career being crowned world and European champion, winning Paralympic silver and claiming two Commonwealth Games bronze medals. Ali took up powerlifting when he was just 16, and three years later, he made his Paralympic debut in Beijing, where he finished ninth. Ali had fallen ill shortly before the Games and was later diagnosed with Crohn's disease. He showed incredible strength and perseverance to finish fourth at London 2012 Paralympics before topping the podium at the World Championships in 2014. He also won Commonwealth bronze in Glasgow later that year for Team England. This was followed up by claiming the European title in 2015 before Ali secured his first ever Paralympic medal with a silver at Rio 2016. He suffered a lengthy Crohn's flare-up in 2017 and completed an epic comeback by taking Commonwealth bronze on the Gold Coast in 2018. Ali is currently on a break from competing after finishing sixth at the Tokyo Paralympics. He had undertaken three years of shielding to be able to represent his country in Tokyo, barely seeing his family and foregoing a stem cell trial during that period. Ali sits on the Commonwealth Games England board as an athlete representative and is also an ambassador for the charity Crohn's and Colitis UK. Christian is a British gymnastics trailblazer who retired from the sport in 2017. He won 14 major international medals at Olympic, World, European and Commonwealth level during a glittering career. Christian made his debut for Team England at the Melbourne 2006 Commonwealth Games where, just 17, he returned with a bronze medal in the team event. Six years later, he helped Team GB to their first Olympic team medal in 100 years, claiming that famous bronze in front of a home crowd at London 2012. The four-year period which followed saw Christian enjoy podium finish after podium finish after podium finish. Highlights included winning three medals, gold and two silver at the Glasgow 2014 Commonwealth Games before securing the European floor title a year later. He was selected for his seventh World Championships later that year and captained the team to a historic silver medal. Christian also led the team at Rio 2016 as they fell narrowly short of a podium finish at those Olympic Games. He's now Vice Chairman of the British Olympic Association's Athletes Commission and currently works as the Player Care and Engagement Manager for the Premier League. We'll be talking to Ali and Christian about what this summer's Commonwealth Games mean to Birmingham, their excitement for the biggest multi-sport games in the UK since Glasgow 2014. 
The significance of hosting such a huge spectacle after a challenging couple of years and their reflections on London 2012. Right, let's get to it. Welcome Ali and Christian. So guys, um, you know better than me how inspiring major games can be. Christian, I'll start with you. How are you feeling? The Commonwealth Games are next month. So how excited are you about the prospect of wall-to-wall coverage of a variety of sports? I think it's going to be brilliant. It really is. I'm um, where I live now. I'm literally five minutes away from the Cannock Chase, and uh, that's where the mountain biking will will be uh, taking place. So, again, on a sort of daily reminder, walking the dog, I'm, I'm seeing sort of signs now and kind of the infrastructure going up in in place and the structures for the Commonwealth Games. Um, start to see a little bit more, uh, I guess, profile of the sports and seeing team announcements and media coverage, and I think just all of that combined, it's now starting to you know bring uh, the games to a, a bit of a climax which you know is fantastic not is it only great for the athletes it's great obviously for Birmingham um, and I think it's just great for the general public to engage in sport again after what's been a, a pretty rough couple of years and for them to be able to see some first-hand world-class sports um, very very local even more local if you're in the Midlands um, uh, uh, yeah it's just an exciting time and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it how separated are you from the athlete? Because you are retired, you're still heavily involved in sport. When you sort of, like you say, you've seen those sport, you, do you get a bit off? Oh, you know, does it take you back and think, I wish I was going to be there? Or have you sort of, you know, it's been long enough now that you can sort of embrace it and take maybe more of a spectator's point of view and sort of relish it from the viewer's perspective? I think... I think you're correct in that the longer I have um, been retired from the sport, then my perspective certainly changes and I am able to probably sit there with a little bit of a different lens on in terms of being their support staff and and being there to um, support the athletes in, you know, a different role. But I think once you have been an athlete and competed at an elite level, you you will always have that desire of almost, well, I wonder if I could still cut it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think that that will probably ever go, to be honest with you, and, until I'm maybe perhaps 60 and a grown man at 60 certainly shouldn't be wearing a leotard at that point in their career. So I think there'll always be that element um, of, or maybe desire. And, and for me, I'm always still involved in sport and I see it on a daily basis. Um, and I think that, for me, has been a really, really... Um, just great touch points, to be honest, more than anything else, staying involved in something that I'm passionate about, staying involved in something that I love. Um, and that hasn't necessarily always been gymnastics. That's also some of the other sports as well, the Olympic and Paralympic sports as well, which is, you know, it's brilliant for me to be able to have opportunities in the, the world that I work in now to engage with those. Um, and actually, I did some work just last summer out in uh, Tokyo with Team GB. So I was fortunate enough to be um, part of the preparation camp out in Tokyo. Um, we was in Yokohama and we had a pretty much most sports come into our prep camp before moving into the village. And actually, for the first time, instead of looking at the gymnastics team and thinking, oh, I wonder if I could still cut it. I wonder what I'd be like now <laughs> if I was to get, <clears throat> excuse me, if I was to put my hand guards back on. I was actually looking and going to watch some of the other sports and thinking, I wonder if I'd have been any good at that sport. And there's that curiosity <laughs> then around some of the other sports rather than yeah, just gymnastics yeah, specific. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, I, I think just part of my personality, that will always be there for sure. But um, but certainly the older I get, I think that the, uh, the more realistic I am to, you know what, I think I'm pretty set <laughs> with what I'm doing right now. There's, there's lots I can go out there, but I just love the competitiveness of maybe my gymnastics is done, but could I maybe transition that whole talent transfer? And is is veteran gymnastics a thing? Is there like age categories for gymnastics? Can we see 60, 50-year-olds still in their leotards doing their thing? 
Uh, you can. Uh, there is a veteran championships. I'm sort of. Uh, I've really been pretty uh, set on. I'm, I'm not going to go down that route. Um, just <laughs> because I know what it takes and how much it hurts doing gymnastics when I was fit and agile and training day to day. So having about five to six years out and then coming back into it, I'm under no illusions that I'm not too sure that would be the most fun thing to do um, in all honesty. And and also the the fact when I was doing a bit of coaching, I was in a gymnastics environment still on a day-to-day. So you would have a little play on some of the apparatus and keep things ticking over. But um, now I'm a little bit more working from home, working in an office environment where um, it's probably not encouraged to be swinging around things and to be walking on your hands um, between <laughs> office spaces to the printer, etc. So, uh, so yeah, it's... It's, it's it's certainly um, the further I am away from the sport now, probably the least likely I am to to be joining any veterans competitions. So the office risk assessment is completely safe. There's no worry about <laughs> maybe doing any any vaults or anything like that. I think listeners can tell from Christian's beautiful accent. Wolverhampton, born and raised, spent plenty there. So obviously strong affinity there. Ali from Lebanon, raised in London but you are now a student in Birmingham. So just echoing those that you've been at the heart of this, haven't you? We're going to get into your involvement with the Commonwealth Games specifically, but just in and around the city, how is it for you sort of interacting and seeing that these this major event is just weeks away? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is just the excitement around it. Uh, I think, obviously, if you've been to 2012, you realise just how incredible sport is in this country. So I think, you know, we're going to get another... 2012 probably even better to be honest with the last couple of years so yeah like I was pretty lucky to get into Birmingham Uni over the PhD but you can tell that it's just yeah everyone's just so excited Uh, and everyone's actually just playing sport as well which is really good to see. It is and talk about from I, I, I don't know this is fascinating but what was it what was the mate the first major event that you saw do you, do you think there was there a key moment where you yourself as an athlete well, well before you became an athlete where you saw a major event taking part and, and I don't know how key was that in shaping your eventual transition into being such a, a, a special athlete oh I think I think I guess my Paralympic dream started when I was about six um it was actually watching the 96 Olympic Games in Atlanta and uh, I watched uh, a man called Michael Johnson absolutely smash it in the athletics, and I thought, I want to be like him. <laughs> I had no legs at the time, so I thought I had to do another sport. But, um, yeah, that was, like, the moment when I thought I wanted to be an athlete. And and, and that's very that's fascinating because I think sometimes, you know, by and large, people have perhaps seen yourself, Ali, and thought, right, I want to be the next Paralympic weightlifter. But for you, it, it didn't matter, able-bodied or not, you were just like, look at this guy doing his thing on the biggest stage. I want some of that. Is, is, is that me summarising that quite succinctly yeah I think what what really kind of got to me was the fact that when he was on top of the podium he saw the emotion of what it meant to him and I just wanted that feeling of what it felt like to be on top of the podium and I think that's what really kind of made me think that actually I just just want to go chase that feeling so I decided to chase it and I think it's similar for yourself, isn't it, Christian? You saw, I don't know, what, what games was it for you? And, and again, I don't know if gymnastics was clear in your mind then, but what was it that made you think, right, you know, I want to do this. I want to be a really good sporting superstar. I think for, I remember my earliest memories of watching the Olympics was similar to Ali. It was 1996. Um, 
but I probably didn't have that clear vision of wanting or desire to compete at a, an Olympic Games until probably a little bit older, to be honest with you. And um, I was fortunate enough to go watch the gym, uh, the men's gymnastics in 2002 in Manchester, and that was brilliant. I watched uh, an English gymnast, Kanakai Jackson. He won at the all-round gold medal in the gymnastics, and that was pretty inspirational at that point in, in my life. And um, sort of that desire to, to want to continue to sort of push myself onto that next level. Um but also, I guess really with the Olympics, men's gymnastics, particularly in Great Britain, it wasn't at that level where we were producing Olympic level gymnasts consistently. Um, and so it, it almost felt a million miles away still at that point. And it probably wasn't until my first Commonwealth Games um, in 2006 when I was a junior and, and that experience where I was actually... I came back from that Commonwealth Games in, in Melbourne and thought, this this is what I want to do. This is where I want to pursue and push myself and really get to the highest level that I can and potentially one day become that uh, become an Olympian. And that was kind of where that focus and drive um, sort of stemmed from. I guess when I started gymnastics at five years old and, you know, at five, you, you don't know anything about the sport. You just go <laughs> because you enjoy it. You like throwing yourself around, sort of landing in foam pits, um, based on the trampolines, etc. And it was just such a unique sport. Um, and luckily for me, I, I was good at it. Um, and I just kept, you know, plowing on and it kept working and uh, was part of the GB setup from 12 years old. But even then, it still wasn't, uh, you know, Olympics is my calling. That's what I want to get to. Um, as I say, that probably came a little bit later on in my career. And maybe that was a good thing because it meant those young years, there was no pressure. It was just all about enjoyment and fun and, and just going out there and, and working hard and, and seeing what happened, really. And it's just priceless, isn't it? Because you two will both know in terms of, Team GB, Paralympics GB, one percenters, the amount of scientificness that goes into preparation, but scouting and recruitment and talent transfer is a big thing. But arguably, the biggest capacity is just showing people how good sport is. And did you notice that throughout your career, Christian, as regards to growing up, that just people just seeing yourself and your peers just being, you know, obviously success was a huge part but just that visibility aspect of just seeing British athletes doing well, just inspiring people, like you say, with no necessary grand illusions of, I want to be Olympic champion. Just, I saw that guy, on, I saw him doing the vault on the floor. I want to go and try that. And then, you know, as you probably know, Saturday clubs at gymnastics, they, they suddenly fill up, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And I think we we really did see the power of that and the profile of particularly men's gymnastics just go to a whole new level after London 2012 and... That probably was um, a pretty considerable change within the men's gymnastics and the landscape of our sport in terms of numbers and that desire of of young boys wanting to try the sport. Um, I think, you know, most people always seen sort of gymnastics and thought, you know, elements of it are pretty good and they would love to be able to try that. But there wasn't necessarily the accessibility to go to a local gymnastics club. It was a little bit more focused on the women's side. Um, and to be honest, you know, I had friends from a young age that, that wanted to try it, but again, there just wasn't that availability and that options and the uh, you know gymnastics centres local enough to to um, to give young boys the chance to do it. Um, also, I guess you know after school clubs, which play a big part now of our peer curriculum, particularly in the younger age groups. Um, again, gymnastics wasn't really on the agenda at that point uh, when I think about primary school many, many years ago. So again, they, they just didn't have that exposure to it. So I think we know the sort of day and age that we live in where there's that accessibility and that visibility of the sport. 
Um, I'm under no illusion that any sort of opportunity to see, particularly, let's say, gymnastics on television or on YouTube or at a lot of gymnastics events, then for sure, that that certainly helps raise the profile and gets young people into the sport of gymnastics. And obviously, I'm biased. Uh, I think <laughs> it's a fantastic sport. And granted, it's the last particularly two years, 18 months, it's gone through a bit of a rocky patch. Um, but I think that love and desire for the sport is certainly still there. And I think, uh, you know, I think the more that we can do that, uh, Commonwealth will be another opportunity to do that. Um, I think that more people will get involved in sport. And, you know, you haven't got to do sport at that elite level. I think that's perhaps sometimes a misconception with particularly a sport like gymnastics because it is quite specialist that if you take part, your desire and your dream is to compete at that elite level when actually there's so many other avenues that you can go into and whether it is just using gymnastics as a good base and then that takes you on to other sports then that's absolutely brilliant and I think we should be doing what we can to encourage that. I think that's something we'll get into a little later as you go to the futures program for those athletes that are going to be attending through with Team England as also yes you know fingers crossed you are the athlete at the top of the podium but also the amount of infrastructure that goes on in a major games in terms of all the support roles and organisation and things, just opening people's eyes to that as well, just just for the love of sport. Just taking that on, Ali, I think I'm a, I'm a massive subscriber to see it and you can be it. So, you know, you guys are probably testament to that, that you saw your own heroes, you wanted to emulate them. But particularly in terms of the Paralympic movement, the Commonwealth Games have been very key, haven't they, in terms of parasports, been a, a, a permanent fixture of late games in terms of just getting that... But how important moment do you think this is for us here in Britain having a Commonwealth Games where it's a dual timetable, so it's not the Olympic-Paralympic distinction they are going to be happening at the same time, and it's going to be in a British airtime as well because obviously Gold Coast, things like that, sometimes that you, know, you miss certain bits. But like I say, literally in the next month or so, there's going to be superstar para-athletes competing alongside able-bodied athletes. And you know what we're like in this country. We just want to speak to winners, don't we? So how important a moment that do you think that is for the para-sport? Oh, usually. I think um, kind of me growing up as an athlete, I never actually imagined para-athletes competing alongside, you know, the, the Olympic sports. And the Commonwealth Games is obviously unique in terms of it houses both of them at the same time. I think now the, the, the big thing going forward is um, because the para-programme has grown so much at the Commonwealth Games, it's going to get to a point where we're going to have that discussion of when it's going to get too big um, to house both of them. So that'll be a good debate to have in the future. But actually, what the Commonwealth Games has done is, it's you know, it's grown the para program. It's produced some incredible superstars from it. But also, it showcases para sport in peak times. Um, and I, you know, for me, like, I can't wait for the stadiums to be action packed when uh, the para guys come out. And you know, well, I think they're going to be incredible. And you've rightfully pointed on that. What are your thoughts? Because am I right? Have you have you competed at games where there has been similar timetables? Has your experience largely been para sporting events held separately? Well, I've, I've competed at three Commonwealth Games, so I'm, I'm used to I'm used to that now. Um, but I guess before it was a little bit kind of um, we were kind of waiting for the Olympics to finish. You know, it, was, it was our turn. Uh, I think the Commonwealth Games, it was different in terms of we were there at the same time and competing in the same arena um, and, I guess, hanging out with the able-bodied teams as well, uh, which is actually quite unique for us. So I guess, you know, for me, like, I've, I've enjoyed both experiences, but I think as an athlete, you just want to compete. You just want to compete uh, and you want that support. So it's not too much of a difference because you're, ha- you're there to, to still compete, but there are, a li- you know, there are many differences here and there. 
And if you were to pick out anything that just to flag for athletes for their own awareness, what what was was there anything you felt particularly challenging when you were competing in a, in a combined timetable, time or was there anything you had to do differently when you knew it was right? We're a separate event in terms of perhaps your mental preparation. Uh, not not really. I think um, because Team England is one team, you feel part of that team. Uh, it's not us against them. So you actually feel part of the family, uh, and it's, you know, it's it's the same as the Paralympic Games, really, in terms of how, how you feel and the, the structure of it. So nothing really changes apart from you are competing in the same timetable as the able-bodied athletes. Christian, you talked about the 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 knockout. I'm sure it was anticipated by the governing body in terms of the spotlight of London, and particularly, obviously, Team GB doing so well in the men's gymnastics, but. Is, again, is that the, the added incentive of a home games and the fact that I'm not trying to put, point out any sports that are struggling, but also how much of a boost it can be in terms of, you know, maybe we're struggling for recruitment as well. But when you've got those athletes, again, that are so visible that it can really help transform sports in terms of how important funding is as well. So there is that added pressure, isn't there, to say we've got a captivating audience here. Athletes, come on, we need you guys to deliver to bring through that next wave. Absolutely. I, I think there is certainly that mindset of this is a, a chance to raise the profile of the sport, to raise our profile of athletes, to get ourselves front and centre because, you know, we're always consistently battling against football, against rugby, against cricket, some of the probably the, the bigger sports and national governing bodies within um, within the, the UK. So, there is certainly that added pressure, but equally at the same time, because the Commonwealth Games, it has, you know, the sort of friendly games, um, sort of that's what it, it's typically coined as. And um, I think there is perhaps that that expectation of athletes going out there. And yes, there is that competitive nature. Yes, they absolutely want to win. But perhaps some of that internal pressure of going out there, I must win a medal. And um, I think that's probably a little bit less than what you get at the Olympic Games and Paralympic Games. Um, a part of that is because, you know, funding doesn't necessarily ride on it for most of the sports that are taking part. Um, so that is an important factor. But what it does do, it gives the sports a platform to to have the results, to have their moment in the spotlight. Um, and who knows then what comes off the back of that. You could get, you know, some very, very talented um, and, you know, hardworking young athletes that have watched it and want to take part in that sport. And, and who knows then in 10 years time, they could be the stars of the future, which has a massive, massive impact um, further down the line. But it, it's it's that original exposure which creates those opportunities um, and, you know, all sports, all athletes will know that. And I think for me, when I was an athlete competing, I was aware of that. I was conscious of it, but I certainly didn't let that play out too much in my own mind. You're already competing. You've already got, you know, stresses of the environment and competing under pressure on your plate. And the last thing you want to deal with then is an added um, pressure. So you're conscious of it, but it's sort of planted sort of in the, in the back of your mind, really. Um, and I think all athletes, they, they want to move the sport, their you know, respective sports onto a better space. But I think if you carry that burden a little bit too much, then it's, it's probably a little bit all too consuming. So it's about getting that balance right for, for a lot of these athletes. And Ali, Christian talked there about the exposure. Um, you yourself have spoken quite publicly about sometimes the parasport can get forgotten, can't it, in terms of those Olympic cycles, the Paralympic cycles, that as soon as the Paralympics Games are done, we forget about it for four years. Again, this is just another... 
we're not going to fix this overnight in terms of appreciation of how incredible you athletes are in terms of those who compete in para sports. But again, if I'm linking, I'm a young Paralympic athlete uh, heading into Birmingham as well. That exposure and that platform to draw attention to your name, potential sponsors, it could be career changing for some of those para sports athletes who do really well in Birmingham. Oh, it's a it's, it's massive exposure at the highest level, especially we're talking about home games and you're obviously competing alongside the able-bodied sports as well. So for us, it's you know it's huge, especially if you you know absolutely uh, you know put on a performance to, that's remembered. Um, and I say to a lot of athletes, um, make sure your celebration is not forgotten because uh, that's what they always go back for. Um, that's what the media like; they, they like that. So yeah, like for for para sport. You know, every four years you've got the you've got the Paralympic Games, but something like this means that it's going to be front and centre for you know two weeks, uh, and hopefully you get to ride that momentum. And you know, and like for me, like it's very important that we don't forget about para sport when it's not a multi-sport major championships. Um, it's really important that people do watch you know para Europeans, para worlds, because you know, like the able-bodied athletes, we compete all year round, and I think that's the message that we want to portray that actually we don't compete once every four years we compete every month uh we want you to come watch it and because of now you know watching sport now is so accessible you can you know you can do it pretty easily there's no excuses now and you you mentioned celebration i think if anyone goes onto youtube or anything and searches rio in your name i think they can perhaps see quite an iconic one of someone taking advantage of that platform and doing your thing which is great to see i watched that video this morning as well Let's go back then. So obviously a big cornerstone of this episode is being on home soil. So Ali, if I start with yourself, we're just obviously, you know, we're, we're all, wow, <laughs> we're a decade on from London 2012. It even thinks it's mad to even say that out loud. But you're smiling already, Ali. What's, what's your main recollections of being on home soil, being a Paralympian and competing in front of the world? I think for me, it's just, uh, it's a once in a lifetime because uh, obviously, like, it's really rare that you get a multi-sport home games. And, it, and it's rare that you even get to compete at one. So it, it, it's, you feel so lucky to be part of it. But, but also, you, it's the, like, the ultimate excitement, because everyone's talking about it. Um, you, you don't, you know, you don't really kind of... It's, 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 a, little bit, it's a bit like you're in a bubble for a couple of years, because you know it's coming. Uh, and you don't actually want it to end. You want, to, you want it to continue to compete on home soil. Uh, and when you're in it, it's just, yeah, it just, it's just it's surreal. Um, it's like a dream uh, in terms of just being part of the kind of the part of the team, but also knowing that people are watching you. Um, and also you know, the fact that your friends and family can be there. That's that's huge because it's, it's rare that because my family never flew to come watch me. So 2012 was when they watched me. Uh, so I had them all there. So. Yeah, it's 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 the ultimate honour to to have a, a you know a home games, and I just want athletes to really enjoy it and actually absorb it as well, and actually remember it because uh, sometimes because you're so obsessed on your performance, you actually forget about the actual experience until you know you're ten years down the line and you've already thought to yourself, I should have enjoyed it a little bit more. Well, that's what I, I, do, I was going to say. Do those comments come from hindsight in terms of when you look back, or did you have time? in the moment to appreciate like you say wow what an opportunity this is to compete or understandably were you just so focused on the performance outcome yes it was in london which is great but was it still perhaps at the time it was very much performance centered yeah i think the thing is Paralympics gb are so successful at the games is that like you kind of put yourself under a lot of pressure to perform uh because you're so focused on that you do forget to just enjoy it and absorb what's going on uh, and I guess for me, I, I never quite 
absorbed uh, all the outside noise uh, until maybe like a few years afterwards we actually reflected and thought wow that was absolutely insane and I should have probably uh, kind of processed it at the time as well uh, but I guess yeah I guess you learn um, so my advice is to athletes this time is yes like absolutely focus on performance but actually enjoy the process too because um, it's a once in a lifetime. Christian, for you, obviously a similar thought, you know, I'm sure just just an amazing chapter in your your incredible career. Absolutely. It was, yeah, looking back, it, it was one of the best couple of weeks of my life. It, it genuinely was and certainly one of the, the highlights or probably the highlight of my career. Um, similar to, to Ali Paps, I didn't quite appreciate the significance of a home Olympics and what it meant, not just for us as an athlete, Team GB, but actually for the nation as well. Um and I, I certainly wasn't aware of that in the build-up to the games. And once we moved into the village, again, you're then a little bit sheltered because you're in a bubble or it feels like a bubble of, you know, protected from the outside world almost. And so that sort of background noise, you can't really hear. And part of that is because you're you're blocking that out. You have a performance that you want to focus on. Um, and the other half is because, you know, you are in a, a pretty secure Olympic village uh, that is only, you know people that live there are are only there to do or compete at the Olympics or Paralympics. Um, But then actually, once the results started to come in and I started competing, we were in the O2 arena um, and seeing the crowds, hearing the noises, hearing the support, not just of gymnastics, but then of all the other sports, hearing all these different stories from families and friends that had come to visit and, you know, their train journeys there and what that was like and the fun that they was having with other um, fans, I guess, of sport. Um, And then seeing the Olympic Park filled with people and, and fans again of just people who's just wanted to watch live sport and see you know what it, what an olympics and paralympics exactly was like um that's when it started to hit home a little bit more and actually i was able to appreciate then after i finished competing uh, but still in the olympics just how incredible and how fortunate we were um to to have a home olympics and i remember way back when before i think it's probably when the olympics um was um, named as the, the host city. And I remember people saying to me, oh, that's a little bit disappointing, isn't it? It could be anywhere in the world and you're going to <laughs> London for Olympics. And at the time, I didn't really think too much of it. But then as I got close, I was like, no, this, this complete opposite. The op- the opportunity, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that you have to compete at a home Olympics, that is incredible. And, um, you know, it probably won't be to another 50, 60-plus years that athletes get the opportunity to do that again. So... For them to have that opportunity at the Commonwealth Games, um, and particularly for those athletes that are West Midlands-based, that are Birmingham-based, I just hope that, as Ali said, that, yes, it is about performance, but they have those opportunities just to reflect, just to be present, and just to enjoy it as well, because, you know, a sporting career, it's not the longest. Um, before you know it, as you say, we're always talking, we already mentioned it's 10 years on from London Olympics, which is just crazy and incredible at the same time, so... I hope if there are any takeaways that they do get those moments to reflect and to be present and uh, to enjoy the experience um, because it, I'm sure it will be so, so fast um, and fast-paced once they get into that that Commonwealth village. Precious part of sport. You know, this is largely sometimes how medals are decided, but me as a mere mortal, you know, I used to do a lot of athletics and when my gran used to turn up, I was, oh, I wanted her there, but I was sort of like, it makes me feel like added pressure. So... Ali's talked about it his friends and family can come and watch just take us through your mindset through those games because obviously in terms of you know the competition as a whole across a team event it's not just I'm not trying to say it's any easy it's not just one run and and it's all over there was perhaps that constant we're going to get a medal (laughs) we're in London and we could get a medal here how how was your 
yeah, just tell them, tell me what it was like, essentially dealing with that. What I'm hoping, well, of course, you smashed it, so you, know, you did deal with it. But how challenging was that to to step up and deliver with so much expectation? Because that's the thing with the home games, isn't it? That maybe if it's on the other side of the world, we're perhaps not as aware of people and events going on. But you wouldn't have been able to escape the build up. You would have felt the momentum while you were there. How was it for you out and trying trying to trying to win a medal? Sure. I think the, the, looking back there, there probably are a few things that uh, was quite significant that we got right, which helped um, in terms of our prep camp. We um, we actually distanced ourselves a little bit. We, we went to France for a couple of weeks and then went from France directly into the Olympic Village, which, um, again, it meant that we were away from the noise and the media and, and spotlight and just we were able then to just concentrate on the training. And I think that was very important for us because it's so you know, it's so easy to get caught up in that um, and the noise and everything else that's going on to the build-up to the games. And then also once we got into competition and particularly the night that um, we were competing in the team final, which was the night we won the medal, I, I, I to this day remember the lineup and kind of the, the talk that the coaches gave to us. And that was, you know, this is just any other day. We're back at Lillyshaw, which is our, our national centre. It's just a controlled competition, um, support each other, go out there, enjoy enjoy the experience, enjoy the crowd. And there was never a mention of medals or position or anything like that. It was about actually just being in that moment and and thinking about the process of one routine at a time um, rather than, you know, getting yourself carried away and thinking about that medal and that podium. And I think because of that, we were able to, to do exactly that. We were able to keep calm. And obviously, that's when your training kicks in, um, your experience kicks in, because it is so, so easy if you have a good start to the competition to start thinking, well, OK, there's a chance for a medal here. Um, but I guess experience and failings previously to the Olympics has taught us all that we can't do that because that's when mistakes do happen. And we really do need to focus on our next routine and support each other and do our little bits of jobs that we needed to do to to get ourselves through to that final apparatus. Um, and then even still the way that the competition worked out, I was the last competitor to compete for Great Britain on the floor, which essentially meant if I went clean, we had a chance for a medal, first time in over 100 years. Um, if not, you know, you go again four years later in Rio. So that sort of moment and expectation, you'd probably expect it to be, you know, the most nerve wracking and um, high pressurised experience. But I can honestly say that I was 100% confident I was going to smash that routine and deliver a good routine. Um, and I, I still to this day can't probably tell you why, um, but I think part of it was the crowd, the excitement. I think part of it was I knew I'd done the numbers in training and so I was prepared mentally, physically. Um, I'd mentally rehearsed the routine in my head, what it was going to feel like because I knew I'd be the last gymnast up. So I kind of knew that um, what the crowd might feel like, what the expectation and pressure might be if we were in a medal position. And I'd rehearse that over and over in my head again. So not only was I physically fit, but I was mentally fit and mentally prepared for that situation. And I guess really it meant I was actually able to enjoy that competition rather than it, me just being a nervous wreck from start to finish and thinking, oh, my God, there's there's potential for a medal on the line. Um, and yes, it, you know, don't get me wrong. It was very, very nerve wracking at times. Um, but at the same time, I, I genuinely think I was able to enjoy that night as well and enjoy the competition for what it was. Um, and so all those elements, I think, played some part um, in, you know, as I say, thinking about the process rather than that that end result, which essentially is, is the medal for most athletes meticulous preparation and Ali that's that's what you need isn't it in terms of to being an elite athlete that 
we're perhaps going to take for granted, aren't we? We're just going to see those, you know, certainly from a viewer's perspective, we'll just see the results and the performances, won't we? But you'll know as well that London was the preparation of, you know, a, a whole cycle, wasn't it, in terms of getting there? And I think is, is that important for athletes to realise that, yes, there's moments where you need to use all that training, but it is something that you've been preparing for a long time for. Oh, the, the effort to get to any major championship is, you know, ridiculously tough. Uh, not many people see what goes on behind the scenes in terms of the process and the journey that you've been on to get there. Um, I think a lot of people see the kind of the outcome um, of your process, but actually only you know what you went through. Um, yeah, for me, I've, I've, I try to always explain to people the context behind the performance um, rather than them judging the outcome. Uh, for me, I've always said that. Um, I always say to athletes, you learn a lot more about the process than you do about any outcome. An outcome is just a moment in time. Uh, it's where the process is where you learn the most, especially about yourself. And some outcomes are, you know, unfortunately not great. Some are, but it's it's kind of you learn so much about yourself uh, f throughout the journey. Um, and for me, outcomes are kind of something that's a distraction because if you can, I always say that if you have one eye on the outcome, you've only got one eye on a process actually quite complicated, unpredictable. You need to be able to have two eyes on the process, actually not think about the outcome because actually it could distract you. And is that even more challenging when it's in home soil? Because again, I know to, 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 I hope I'm not overemphasizing it, but again, it, it, as, as Christian talked about, do you, even though it's so special, <laughs> you know, sort of we're railing back on everything we said about, it, we should get so excited what a moment it is. Do you have to, to some degree, get it in your head? This is what I do. It is just a major chance. As, as easy as it is to say it is, how easy is it to detach London 2012, Glasgow 2014? How I, I don't know. How how did you manage that? Well, quite easily, because we did treat it like another major. You have to. Because uh, I think it, if you start kind of making it more than what it is, then you're gonna, you start losing sight of what you're doing. Um, and I guess, you know, we're under a lot of pressure anyway. We put ourselves under a lot of pressure. There's no point adding to that. Uh, and at the end of the day, you're still doing your job that you do on a daily basis. Uh, you do all year round. You just have to deliver in that one moment. It doesn't really matter what location it is or what country you're in. Um, at the end of the day, I'm still lifting weights. Uh, and that's what you have to think. You have to think like that because the, the, the process is key here. Because if you kind of emphasize where it is, it gets, you know, it gets a little bit kind of too much. You get overexcited and that, that kind of wasted energy, you can actually input it into, into that process. So, yeah, for me, like, it's, it's, you need to be able to separate it. If we take the football analogy, Christian, obviously home advantage, you know, teams typically pick up more points at home. Were you definitely a beneficiary of that in terms of, you know, obviously we, again, I'm just reflecting back at those packed out stadia in terms of the gymnastics centre as well. Just how much, uh, if you can put a number on it, how much of an extra boost did it give you just literally being in an environment where everyone, well, 99% of people had your back and they they were cheering for you to do well? Yeah, I think probably sticking with the football analogy, it's like having an extra man on the pitch. Um, it, it really can be quite considerable. But again, I think it's how you manage that. I think if you go in with thinking uh, that, you know, the home crowd can be an added pressure rather than actually utilizing it for um to you know to gain momentum and to gain that little bit of an extra edge um then it's probably going to be seen or feel like you know a negative uh, but as i say if you can flip that and actually okay we've got increased sort of 
crowd level volume, uh, more people there to watch you, to support you uh, rather than anything else. And you start to switch that in your mindset and and really take that in, then it, it can be a massive advantage. Um, and I think that was something that I learned in London 2012, being able to to utilize the home crowd to our advantage and really to, to live off that a little bit. Um, and also then off the back of that result, that result gave me the confidence to go on and compete at, you know, Europeans, at Worlds, at at, at that top level and, and to continue to be driving and pursuing four medals. Um, and most of that came from London 2012 and, and that experience. Um, and, you know, we was fortunate after that in Glasgow to have a home crowd as well. We had... Um, I had a world championships as well in 2015, also in Glasgow. So there was, you know, a few other um, sort of domestic events where I was able to relive that experience and sort of look back on London and and think, okay, how did I utilise that? How did I make the most of it? And and really put that into my performance. Then, you know, later on in my career as well. So yes, it's it's uh, it can be um, certainly a, a massive massive advantage. But just have a little bit of a think of how you're going to use it to your advantage. Um, I, I would sort of suggest to athletes that are going to be competing in Birmingham. The second series of the Sports Aid Vault comes to you in association with the Commonwealth Games England and Team England Futures. So now's a good time for me to tell you a little bit more. Team England Futures is a programme being delivered by SportsAid on behalf of Commonwealth Games England and Sport England at the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games. Team England Futures will see around a thousand talented young athletes and aspiring support staff given the opportunity to attend the Games and take a first-hand look behind the scenes. The programme aims to give the next generation of athletes a head start, experiencing a major games in the flesh and better preparing them for future multi-sport competitions. It also plans to help aspiring support staff understand what opportunities they could be presented with at a major games, as well as the challenges they may face. In advance of the Games, participants are benefiting from online sessions which focus on a whole range of topics, including nutrition, sleep, mental well-being and dealing with the media. During the Games, each athlete will be invited to attend a sporting event and spend time with a group of senior athletes sharing advice and knowledge from their own careers. Team England Futures will reinforce the importance of the Commonwealth Games, particularly one hosted on home soil, as a developmental opportunity within the talent and performance pathway. The programme is designed to enable a diverse cohort of athletes and support staff to see how to perform at their best, handling the pressure, managing the distractions and enjoying the experience of a major games. The athletes and support staff will also recognise the impact of able-bodied and para-athletes competing alongside each other and gain a greater understanding into what it means to be part of a diverse multi-sport team. We wish all the athletes and support staff on the programme an amazing experience and we hope they'll be able to take inspiration from the guests appearing on the Sports Aid Vault podcast. We can't go on without speaking about the Commonwealth Games as well. So, you know, it Commonwealth Games are different. They're still a major event. It's seen as the friendly games. But how was that transition from, was London a huge 
factor in you performing well in Glasgow as well? Because it wasn't exactly the same circumstances, but speaking to a member of the sports aid team themselves, they went to the gymnastics and they said it was literally like being in London anyways. So was that did that really help the experience of London to prepare you for Glasgow? Absolutely. Um, I've no doubt that, you know, it put me in the right frame of mind and it, I knew what to expect going in and... Again, you sort of put that within your own preparation then because obviously you do your numbers in the gym to physically prepare. But, you know, a big part of sport is actually how you mentally prepare for things. And I think sort of playing out different scenarios in your head, how a crowd might react to different circumstances, um, that is about being an athlete as well. And I think the, the best athletes do that really well where, you know, there is no surprises for them because they've covered all grounds, uh, whether that's physically or mentally, uh, when it comes to competing um and yeah you know I think the the biggest thing for me though was actually I was excited I was excited to get in front of a home crowd again because I had such a great experience of London when Glasgow rolled around it was a chaos team England it wasn't quite you know what you'd call the home games but it was as close as I was going to get um and so the opportunity to again showcase the sport and and to compete in front of a home crowd your friends your family the people that have been there supported you throughout your whole career and and also be with them it's an incredible opportunity when you think about it and I think you know athletes should and have a little bit of a think on how they you know, move about that and how they go about that to make sure that they make the most of that experience as well and enjoy it for what it is because it's so unique to have that opportunity for a home games and uh, you certainly don't want to look back sort of 10, 20 years on and, and think, did I really make the most of that? Um, so it's certainly something to, to think about in advance of the games for sure. Ali, you spoke rightfully about the process. So when she reflected on London and then prepared for, for Glasgow, spoiler alert, you obviously podiumed, you got your first Commonwealth Games medal. Was there any key things that you picked up from London that you put into then the process of preparing for another home games? Oh, good question. Um, I think I think for me it was... I actually didn't know how the crowd's going to react because uh, I, I mean, it felt like a home games to me because... Um, in Glasgow, I got a lot of support. Uh, luckily for us, I didn't have a Scottish athlete in my uh, in my uh, category, so uh, they thought, well, by default, we might as well support Ali. Um, so actually, the whole like the whole crowd were literally egging me on, and I thought, oh, this is exactly the same as London. This is my element. I love it. So actually, like, um, I, was, I was quite lucky in terms of having the experience of London being so loud. Uh, the crowd were, you know, were, were good to me in Glasgow, and I it, obviously it took me to two world records on the day. So my performance in Glasgow was way better than London. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just to complete that sort of your Commonwealth journey, because I know you're not retired, Ali. I don't want to put that out there as regards to it, but in particularly for the the Gold Coast as well. So in terms of those key cornerstones, obviously you had the Paralympic Games in London didn't perhaps do quite as well as you would have hoped, but then you went on, succeeded at Glasgow and then in Rio as well. And then the the adversity you overcame to even be on the start, you know, being able to compete on the Gold Coast, it's it's been one hell of a ride. Oh, yeah. Um, my career's been one hell of a roller coaster in terms of fighting uh, my health every single step of the way. And I think... The, the one thing that's special about the Commonwealth Games is that when I reflect on my career, I've always used the Commonwealth Games as the comeback because it means so much to me to have, you know, the Team England colours on and wearing the line on my chest. So for me, like, if it wasn't for you know, the Commonwealth Games, I probably would have struggled to come back from illness. Um, so they've, they've allowed me to kind of see what's possible with the disease, but also the fact that I just wanted to wear them colours again. 
Uh, and that for me has always been so special about the Commonwealth Games because, you know, it's rare that you have that affiliation to it that you always want to push yourself no matter what to try and get on the on, on the um, the platform. I'm, I'm quite lucky that at the Gold Coast I came you know, I came away with something as well. Uh, luckily, so just shows you that it was it was kind of well worth it. And you know. Is that the proudest moment? It's difficult to, you know, you've been world champion, you've obviously got a medal in Rio, but and, and you are, it's constant. This is para, this is again one of the things we take for granted for para sport is sometimes the journey people have to get just to be the start line. I know able bodies will rightfully sometimes, able bodied athletes will talk about injury, but you know, your, your general health and well being, because for a long period of time, I don't think you were supposed to be in, in Australia, were you? It was looking touch and go, but to get there and again, and not. Uh, waste is the wrong word, but to be at a major games and come away with a medal in the space of all that adversity, for those who don't know, your you difficulties with Crohn's disease, how proud a moment was that when you look back on it? Oh, huge. Um, like 10 weeks before Gold Coast, we were talking about retirement because I was so ill. Um, but I wanted one last opportunity to compete at that sort of level uh, and, yeah, to kind of... I think it's my proudest Commonwealth Games moment, even though you can argue that Glasgow, you can't get better than a world record, but it, but it, but it was only because of the, the, the circumstances around the Go Coast. Um, and, and then I've always said that actually making Tokyo was even prouder, uh, probably bigger than my medal in Rio because of what I had to go through. Um, I always say to people, like, the journey that you go on to achieve something is far more important than the actual outcome. Uh, and I guess, yeah, the Gold Coast in Tokyo my two proudest moments because of what I've had to endure to, to actually get there. So, yeah, they, they meant more to me than medals. Christian, if we if we focus on now for the Team England Futures programme, for listeners will be aware, this is the cornerstone of our podcast, is essentially it's about athletes who, this is, this is not their games and in essence, this is them learning what it's like to be at a major championships and hopefully setting the stone for whatever future games come what what would your key advice or if you know for those athletes who are listening to this who are going to be in Birmingham and experiencing a close experience is of course and they're not going to be competing they're not going to have the direct parallels but in terms of things you think are really important to take away from this opportunity well I think I mean you you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of learning what is it that you can learn from these experienced athletes uh, from these experienced staff and I think the the biggest takeaway for me would to to encourage them to be curious uh, be curious ask questions you know athletes would absolutely love to share their experiences and to talk about you know their particular sport or um i guess how they prepare for a commonwealth games or a home commonwealth games and and being in that environment that is such a you you a unique opportunity to do that um that i really do think you you just have to go out there and um and ask questions as i say be curious speak to some of the athletes who have been there who have done it um speak to some of the staff members on okay what was what does it feel and look like in a, a village and what's your sort of role within the village um okay there's something about laundry okay i didn't realize there was a laundry service in the village what does the food hall look like okay great what are the lookouts for the food hall that you need to be aware of um home you know home advantage in terms of the crowd what does that mean you know they might be an opportunity further down the line that they are fortunate to compete in in front of a home game so there's so many facets and different things that that a home games brings to an athlete so that i think you just have to be curious and and just ask as many questions as you possibly can get to know some of the athletes because hopefully these are the athletes you'll be competing alongside further in the future and you know, Ali sort of mentioned it earlier around that one team ethos. I think that's really, really important. And 
uh, sports, we probably don't get the opportunity to compete multi-sport events all too often, not enough personally, um, which can be a shame. So just make the most of that opportunity to get to know some of the athletes, get to understand some of the sports, the different rules, um, sort of their approach. You know, for me, I'm just a big fan of sports. So I just enjoy, you know, seeing how different athletes like to warm up, but the type of processes and things that they do, because I'm just curious. Um, and is there anything that could be taken away then for your own sort of learnings as well? Um, but yeah, ultimately, the for me, the, the takeaway message is be curious, ask questions, and don't be afraid to speak to you know even some of the the big name athletes because I guarantee they would love to spend a bit of time with you and just talk through their journey a little bit and give you as much advice as they possibly can. Ali, we all learn through experience. We, the mistakes we make help us better people and prepare for for future. But I think with this program specifically, was there anything that you you know that. I don't know if, if there's an appropriate word, mistakes that you made that this program is essentially trying to minimise the risk of by essentially giving them exposure to that environment. Just trying to think some of the key learning things you took away from major games that you didn't know about, which enabled once you'd had it, you could then prepare better for the next one. Yeah, so um, when I was obviously a young athlete, we never had the opportunities of a futures programme like this. Uh, so I had to learn pretty quickly uh, about my mistakes. Um, and I guess... The, the huge advantage that these athletes have now is they actually get to learn in an environment uh, where they get access to all these world-class athletes and, and, and staff members. They get to ask them questions, but also they get to learn about the mistakes the athletes did at their age and what to avoid and a different way of thinking. So, so I guess for me, it's, it's you know, as Christian said, just ask as many questions as possible uh, and learn because you're not going to be able to be in that environment potentially ever again until you're there yourself competing in two, three, four years down the line. So yeah, I was, you know, for me as a kid, I was, we used to love, I used to, for me, I would have loved to have a program like this because um, I would have learned quite quickly what to, what to avoid. Ali, do you mind just explaining you're a member of the Commonwealth Games England board? Do you mind talking listeners through what that opportunity, how it came about and, and how you, you basically have been involved in, in the build up to Birmingham? Yeah, so um, Team England wanted a kind of, rightly so, like a more athlete-centred approach to everything that they were doing. They wanted to make sure that athletes were put front and centre of all decision-making. So I was lucky enough to be approached to kind of be the voice of you know the athletes and making sure that not only athletes are heard with their kind of concerns and you know, any questions they want answering, but also the para program being kind of expanded and making sure that the para athletes weren't left behind because obviously the Commonwealth Games, you know, when it comes to the para program, grew every single time, but they truly wanted to make sure that the para program got as much exposure as possible uh, with the kind of able bodied athletes too. Um, and I think, yeah, my job was to make sure that I was kind of that bridge between the athletes and, and the board and making sure that the board were doing everything they can to make sure that they put athletes up front and centre really. Yeah, it's quite, that seems quite a moment that is because it's, you know, you, you've, you, again, you've, you've lived the sport, but also that responsibility now to try and make it a better experience for, for those to come after, I guess. Yeah, that must be quite rewarding. Oh, amazingly so. I think as an athlete, you don't realise what truly goes on behind the scenes and how hard these organisations are working to make sure they, they deliver uh, a team to the games. And I guess for me, it was a lot of learning for me to make sure that there's a lot of context behind the decisions that we're making. And I had to balance that out between what the athletes needed and wanted and what's practical. So like for me, it was, um, it was good that I got to give athletes that context as what, why the decisions were, were happening. And I guess if athletes understood, 
they're more likely to actually go, you know what, we respect you know, the, the way Team England work because they're, on, they're working under extreme pressure to deliver a team that's competitive. And, and I guess that sense of authority, not to say that you, you're barking orders at anyone, Ali, as well, of an athlete who's been there and achieved at the highest level as well. It's a perfect example of all organisations, isn't it, that you need to listen to those who've direct experience of it, because I think largely we can always think administrations full of suits and people who think they know, but this is a clear sign of involvement of those who've been there and how key they can pl still play a role in, you know, in, in improving the sport. Yeah, I think the, the best organisations are the one that make sure that they really engage with with the members that they represent. And I think Team England have done a very good job of that because if you look at the board, a lot of them were former athletes, you know, athletes that have been there and done it at the highest level. So, so I guess, you know, for me, it was more like I wanted to, you know, make sure that the para-athletes were heard, but also um, it was just an experience where I knew exactly what was going on behind the scenes too. And it was like a pleasure for me to make sure that I was part of that process to make sure that these athletes were as ready as possible and also it was a home games as well I could I couldn't you know I couldn't walk away from that mm -hmm. and Christian the similar parallels in your one of your many hats in terms of your vice chair of the BOA so the BOA sorry athletes commission for again for people who don't know I'm sure people will perhaps know what the BOA is but if you mind just in layman's terms just talking through what that is and and how that's going to shape your perspective on looking on how things go in Birmingham because we've rightfully talked about your excitement of seeing the performances but from an athlete commission point of view as well what are the key things that you're going to be keeping an eye out for? Sure so uh, the, the BOA British Olympic Association Team GB they're responsible for sending um the athletes from Great Britain to an Olympic Games. And similar to what Ali just mentioned, then the Athlete Commission is put in place um, as an element of the board. Um, and we feed into the board, we, we feed into um, the, the sort of senior management team at BOA and in terms of making sure that there's an athlete lens, athlete perspective on all decisions that are being made so that rightfully so the athletes are, you know, at the heart of everything that TNGB do. Um, obviously, they you know they want to have a successful Olympic Games, and a big part of that is understanding the athletes' mindset and understanding what the athletes need and their desire, and um, and and you know then putting that into action really. So, uh, as vice chair, that's part of my role and supporting the chair through that um, sort of process on all things. So, at the minute now, you know we, we have the uh, sort of on the radar the European Youth Olympic Festival. We've got obviously Paris. 2024 only a couple of years away as well which is is you know scarily coming around very very fast and everything else in between so it's just to make sure that we provide that athlete lens um and so i guess and then you know how does that transfer then into games time it's about okay we might have given that particular feedback or um that, those ideas to the staff but then what does that actually look like on the ground then as i say i was lucky enough to be out in tokyo as part of the prep camp and my role there as athlete services lead in prep camp was again to make sure that the athletes had what they needed the athletes were comfortable what does the food look like there's the food provision what does the timetabling look like what do their sport facilities look like um and making sure that we work with not just the athletes but obviously the staff members as well to to give them the best opportunities to you know succeed at an olympic game or in this instance, the Commonwealth Games. Um, and I'll be fortunately, again, working with Team England this time. Uh, so slightly different hat. I'll be in the NEC village. Uh, we have a few sports that, that's going to be based there to there. And again, it's making sure that, yes, I'm there to support Team England as part of the HQ team. But 
can I give an additional athlete lens on things? Okay, you know, the athlete lounge space, what is that going to look like? What do the athletes need in there? And keeping an eye out on the athletes who particularly they might not have had the best experience. How do we support them? You know, signpost them to the right people. Um, So it is a little bit reactive at times in terms of once we're, you know, on the ground in the actual village. But prior to that, that's when all the hard work gets done because, as I say, we're giving our our perspective uh, with a real athlete mindset um, to all the decisions that are being made. And you know what? It's not always possible to get there uh, perhaps what we suggest but again as Ali sort of mentioned if you understand the reasons why then you can explain that to athletes and again that that sort of aligns everybody aligns everybody then and uh, makes them aware of it and, and helps to bring everybody together and again similar to Ali it's quite a powerful role isn't it for if you again if you rewind back to your career I'm sure it of all with all aspects of everyone's work there's certain criticisms isn't there and sometimes like why has this never changed? Why has this never changed? But again, I guess it's that ethos of Team GB, UK Sport, Paralympics GB, no stone unturned and listening to what athletes have to say, you'd be foolish to ignore it, wouldn't you? What's the sort of response from athletes? I don't know if you directly say, you said this and this is what we change, but how receptive are they when they know, when they have notes from meetings and stuff and, and see that, wow, okay, this didn't quite work so well or this couldn't have done better and actually they're going to change that next time around? Yeah, I think every athlete's different in terms of how they like to engage. So for some athletes, they don't necessarily care about what happens to get to a games or what it looks like. Or they just want to focus on performance and they don't want any other distractions. And that's absolutely fine. And you have to be aware of that and respect that where you'll have other athletes that they want to know absolutely everything, the nuts and bolts of how we get from point A to point B. Uh, what does the village uh, sort of foot space look like? How long does it take to get to the dining hall? What does our accommodation block look like? What's the athlete like? And they're just continually asking questions because they're curious and because they think that will help them with their performance. So you've got to, you know, a pretty wide space spectrum there of uh, of levels of engagement so it's just about you know making sure that you're able to cater for all of those um, understanding the athletes and you know being around the athletes is probably the best time to do that uh, because you know you, there's no chance you can get around to every single sport and understand their individual needs but um, but I think being around them at the game times that builds that rapport it builds the um, that level of trust and again you you have those conversations then and you start to see what each sport needs uh what their individual needs look like as athletes but then what their collective team sports their needs as well in terms of training times terms of do they need a second breakfast like you know rowers need a second breakfast that was something i'd never <laughs> even heard of um a second breakfast it was you know you have breakfast lunch dinner and, and that's it but again so it's all these individual sort of caveats that you learn um and you, you start to then embed them within uh, within all the the obviously all the other sports and within the planning and ultimately that's you know what helps bring everybody together in under that one team umbrella and also aids performance ultimately which is exactly what we're trying to do we want to give them the best experience possible and also we want them to have um, an enjoyable time while they're doing it and obviously the performances on top of that and Ali, if we can focus our attentions directly back now towards Birmingham, I'll be honest with you, um, I, I was working from a distance. I wasn't out in Tokyo, but covering those games. And, you know, we all know the difficult times that we've lived in, but seeing empty stadium, of course, the athletes still delivered, but perhaps even more so in terms of the environment that they had. We talked about the benefit of a home crowd, but I don't know. I just, I, I, there's quite a bit of guilt, but then also now I'm just looking at, a bit of a celebration opportunity as well that 
don't get me wrong, people are still enduring everyday challenges with regards to the pandemic and how it's restricting certain aspects of their lives. But just from an athlete's mental space in terms of knowing that they're going to be competing there. Yes, there's going to be certain guidelines as regards to keeping everyone safe, but more importantly, stadia are going to be full. You're going to be interacting with other athletes as well. It, it just seems like a really good opportunity because sport brings the nation together. You guys almost know this and better than me. And, you know, certainly just sitting there in terms of just watching it and that unity and the huge sense of pick-me-up. I just feel as though Birmingham's just going to be such a celebration, I hope. Yeah, I think so too. I think... Um... The crowd being the added element after Tokyo is a big thing, because uh, obviously, like we take crowd for we took crowd crowds for granted before. I think now it's going to add a kind of a, a certain feel to it that actually we're going to be very excited about. Also, I think it's going to be you know for me it's like a ten day celebration because uh, people will want to come out and watch the athletes, but also the athletes get packed stadiums. Um, you know, I think I think potentially it could be even more powerful than twenty twelve because. You know, it is a major championships that's going to be full. Um, and who would have thought that a couple of years ago when, uh, you know, we were going through Tokyo. Um, we, you know, we took it for granted in Tokyo. Um, it did feel empty. It did feel like we were just competing in, you know, just a big gym. Uh, but now, um, yeah, I think just the athletes are going to be absolutely buzzing to have everyone back. I think, I think we'll feel very, very lucky that we get to, you know, experience that. And Christian, for the West Midlands, as a fellow West Midlander, Stoke-on-Trent, Wolverhampton, but there's that sense of it's going to be different, isn't it? Because, we you know, we know London, we know Glasgow, we had Manchester, but just to get a, a proper Midlands feel to it as well, that's also an added excitement in terms of just the diversity to just show that sport goes everywhere, but it is a chance for the Midlands region, particularly Birmingham, just to come out and show us in its finest. Absolutely, uh, you know, and yes, it is a Birmingham Games, but as you say, it's it's all areas of the the Midlands. You know, we've got a village that's out in Warwick Uni. We've got, as I mentioned, the mountain biking in Cannock Chase. Uh, we've got some sports directly in the city centre of Birmingham. So it does showcase the Midlands uh, in what I hope will be all its glory. And and actually, just you mentioning then London two thousand and twelve, for a lot of younger sort of school children. They potentially wasn't even born during 2012 or would have been very, very young. So we've got a whole new demographic of people that, that we should be trying to reach out to, communities, young children that we want to engage with and we want to bring into sport um, because ultimately they're our future champions and, and they're, you know, the grassroots, even if they don't compete at that, that elite level that keeps sports going. Um, and so this is... It is you know, a very rare and unique opportunity. And I just hope that we, we can seize that and seize um, all those different areas that potentially, um, you know, you don't always necessarily think about because you kind of concentrate on the performance side and just, you know, the elite athletes that you're watching on TV. But it is a great opportunity for local businesses, for local schools, for communities, for young people, for local sports clubs. And then also, you know, the knock-on effect of, um, of, of the television, uh, televised sort of sports, then okay, then that's not going to affect on all sports clubs around the country because hopefully young people that if they weren't lucky enough to watch it live, they can then obviously try and take part, uh, or they would watch that television and they can go find their own local club. So it could have a massive sort of snowball effect um, if we can get it right. And you know the pressure it's certainly on to do that, but 
I guess going back on previous experiences, London, Glasgow, uh, we've got a pretty good track record of it. So, uh, so I, and I also think, you know, with the World Cup being um, this time round at the back end of the year, rather than you know, I guess almost yeah, competing for point, yeah. for sort of scheduled time in the summer, that changes things quite significantly as well. So again, we need to make the most of that and and really showcase sport in all its glory. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm confident that we can do that. And it'd be great to see maybe, you know, in 10 years time, maybe if we were to have this conversation again, we're talking about what were the effects, um, or the positive effects of Birmingham as a, a home Commonwealth Games. Well, I, I, like, I like the use of the word we there again, because there is that just sort of regional, just sort of, you know, we, we want to do this and rightfully so, rightfully so. Ali, believe it or not, some people listening to this won't know anything about weightlifting or, or anything. So just in terms of what are you most excited about, if there's any key names, they don't necessarily have to be Team England, but it's always going to be show-stopping, uh, you know, in terms of superstars are made, aren't they? People we don't know anything about, there's suddenly going to be someone bursting onto the scene, but... Who are you that, if you were to say to keep an eye out for a particular category or a particular athlete, what what would you say? Oh, good, good question. Uh, I don't want to put any pressure on them, um, but I think, <laughs> oh, I think uh, in the powerlifting, I think uh, Mark Swan is someone to look out for. He's gonna, I think he actually might bench two hundred. I don't want to put any pressure on him, but that's historical. Wow. Uh, he's so young. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been, uh, it would be like, I think it would be the fourth biggest weight in history if he does it. Um, and I think he's I think he's on for it. I think uh, Liv Broom as well, she won bronze uh, in Tokyo, but I think she's ready for her first Commonwealth Games medal as well. Um, but yeah, like I think we've got a very strong uh, team in powerlifting team. Um, but they're the two that I have my eye on, uh, but no pressure. And I think if they hear this, they'll probably kill me. <laughs> there we go. We'll make sure that we'll, the, you know, the, as you said, channeling out that noise prior to a home games. Maybe we'll have to sacrifice a few podcast listens for that one. But thank you for that. And Christian, how how about gymnastics? How are we looking? Because again, there's there's expectation, isn't it? Not to say there was not expectation for yourself back, you know, way back when your career started. But the momentum's building, and I guess there's that added thing of the Commonwealth Games, isn't it? That it's it's not Team G. You break away into your sort of Welsh Scottish. English and Northern Irish allegiances, which makes it a bit an extra bit of spice to things. Definitely, and I actually quite like that to be honest. You know, when we would be as a Team GB, um, pretty much most of our careers, and then those same people that you're great friends with, your teammates with, you're then in slightly different allegiances with your your home nations. Um, and as you say, it adds a little bit of extra spice. But if anything, for, for us, it, it was certainly an extra bit of camaraderie as well between us. And, and I, I honestly think help bring us together off the back of the game, the Commonwealth Games then, um, in terms of um, sort of realigning back to, to one, sort of to a Team GB rather than our home nations. Um, but looking at, I guess, some of the, the hopeful and potential stars for, for Birmingham, I, I was lucky enough to watch um, a gymnastics competition over the weekend. It was just the men's squad um, competing, but Joe Fraser, he's a Birmingham athlete, Birmingham gymnast, competed in Tokyo, and uh, he's looking in, in very, very good form right now. So um, I'm hopeful uh, that he will go out there and put a massive, massive spotlight on the sport of gymnastics because I think he's got the potential to do that. And being from Birmingham as well, he trains at Burp City of Birmingham gymnastics club um 
you know, there, there probably is a little bit more of a profile perhaps on him as well. So he's certainly one to look out for. And then I'm also curious as well, um, or curious, I guess, excited, netball as well. Um, obviously, they are the, the current Commonwealth champions and, you know, yeah. they they aren't an Olympic or Paralympic sport. So this is our opportunity to, to re-engage with them, to, to bring them into Team England. And again, we know that the sport of netball, it, it's growing and, and continues to grow within this country. So again, it's an, ex- an exciting time for netball as a sport, irrelevant of whatever resort or hopefully medal they bring back uh, in Birmingham as well. So, yeah, those two are, are certainly my ones to watch. Yeah, good one to flag. If they can do it in the Gold Coast, if they could go into Australia's backyard and beat them <laughs> in the final, yeah, I've got fully hopes that the England Roses can do the same on home soil. Similar to, to you, Ali, in terms of just a complete different other spec, what are you most for looking for that's not going to be in terms of any form of weightlifting? Is there other sports? Because am I right that you used to be a judoka? Were you, did you start out in, in, in combat sports before you, you transitioned to, to weightlifting? Yeah, so my first sport was judo. Um, but, but I guess for me, like, I'm sports crazy. I don't care what sport it is. I just I watch it. So I guess for me, like, um, I'm just looking forward to watching everyone. I, I guess um, there isn't like a, a standout <laughs> because uh, I, I think teaming in are very, very competitive this time. Uh, and I'm hoping that we uh, potentially top the middle table. Well, again, that's a great shout. <laughs> no pressure, Team England, but that's a, that's a nice way to, to wrap things up. So, guys, really appreciate your time. Invaluable stuff. Lots of gems in there for people to pick up. And yeah, enjoy Birmingham. <laughs> We certainly will. Thank you very much for having us. And uh, yeah, it's been a joy just talking about it, discussing our, our old experiences, but also the, ex- the excitement of uh, the upcoming games in Birmingham as well. Thank you. Thank you to Ali and Christian for joining us on the Sports Aid Vault. You can find out more about Sports Aid and Team England futures by visiting www.sportsaid.org.uk or checking out at Team Sports Aid on Twitter and Instagram. The Sports Aid Vault podcast is produced with Hogarth Worldwide and Gramercy Park Studios and our theme music is courtesy of Vidal Riley. You can check out his latest releases on Spotify.